Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. We will uh, take a look here at Matthew's account of Christmas. Matthew 1.18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Uh, This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, God, for how, how impactful it's been in our lives that your word, your truth, it took on flesh and blood and came to live among us, and tonight we don't want to miss um, the opportunity to, to discover that, to be changed by that just a little bit more. So now, God, as I just teach a bit from your, your word, as I talk about who you are, I pray you'd anoint my lips and my heart and my mind and my words so that I could get out of the way, empty me, fill me with you so that we could hear from you. That's what we pray, God. Would you speak to us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when you read the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament Bible are all different narrative accounts of the life of Jesus. These are close friends or followers or close friends of followers of the very person of Jesus, and they all give a different perspective, I should say a complementary perspective, on the life and the ministry of Jesus. Out of those accounts... You have Matthew and Luke that give the most descriptive account of the the birth story of Jesus's journey coming into this world. And what's really unique about the account that we just read is it sort of gives the dad's side of the experience, you know, uh, which I can relate to that. Having been a part of three births of my children, I just didn't get enough attention. You know, like, how did I feel about it? Just kidding. That's not important. Um, but, But that's actually what it is in this account. Um, A lot of the focus is on Mary's own experience as a young girl being told that she would be the one through whom the Messiah would come. That's a big deal. But imagine being her man. Imagine being Joseph, who was just betrothed to her, set to be married. And and this kind of details his own experience. He was losing it, right? He was uh, sort of uh, sort of going back and forth between like, okay, yeah, this is totally of God to which to like, what am I in? What did I get myself into? And this incredible dream that he has. 
uh, which I'm imagining he's like, what did I eat last night? You know, you ever had that, where you like have those nights of sleep, you're like, what was that chicken wings and pizza? That always does it. I'm sure he was kind of feeling like, what happened in my dreams last night? But he was visited by an angel who gave him this great courage and hope and vision for what God was calling him to. Now, as Matthew is detailing this account, we get one specific detail that, Ma- that Matthew focuses on to sort of give a great context to this great birth story of Jesus being born uh, from Joseph's perspective. And, and we read it there in verse 22, uh, or rather, uh, yeah, verse 22, that says that all this was done, notice this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which my son read a moment ago. Uh, This is a key idea for Matthew. When Matthew thinks about Christmas, he thinks about fulfillment. Now, a little fun experiment for us to ask ourselves, what does Christmas mean to you? I mean, we all got our own uh, sort of like word association reactions Uh, When we hear the word Christmas, it provokes all sorts of things. This year's Christmas was a little different, like a little weird. I don't really know how I feel. I'm I'm in the Christmas spirit because I like desperately need to be. Like I need some joy getting out of 2020. It's a good thing that Christmas happens at the end of a year, you know? After like you look back on everything that happened, you're like, okay, good. Jesus came. He was a baby and we could celebrate, you know? So that that really is kind of holding things together here. But what does Christmas mean for you? What sort of emotions, what sort of traditions, what sort of meaning does Christmas carry for you? Again, this is what's interesting. For Matthew, it's this idea of fulfillment, being fulfilled. And this isn't just here in Matthew chapter 1. This is all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. The entire book of Matthew, if you ever get, to get around to reading all uh, 28 chapters of it, it's all about how Jesus has come to fulfill what God said would happen. And so it's over 12 different occasions where you'll, you'll have these stories about Jesus and Matthew's like, see there, right there, thus it was fulfilled. Oh, oh that miracle right there, thus it was fulfilled. There's this one account where Jesus is uh, around a bunch of um, Jewish worshipers and he opens up the scriptures, he reads a verse from it and he goes, this right here, he goes, was just fulfilled, like in me being here. So that's like the big idea, fulfillment. Now, uh, the word fulfillment, fulfilled, again, that's our theme here for Christmas. A simple definition of this word is is simply something that's brought to completion. Brought to completion. When I think about 2020, I think the word fulfillment has a lot of different um, forms to it. On one sense, 2020 was a very unfulfilling year. I don't think there's one person in this room that can say 2020 fulfilled all of your expectations. You knew exactly what it was going to look like leaving 2019. I, I love that. Every year, like, when you go into the new year, it's the same cliche thing every year. Where it's like, goodbye, 2019, you know. Hello, 2020. Here I come. And there's always, like, that hope for one year to be better than the next. And there was a lot of that talk going into 2020, right? 2020 vision, man, you know. Like, it's going to be clear. It's going to be great. And you don't need me to tell you how fun this year was, and that's kind of insincere. I'm sorry. You, you know what I mean, right? Like, this was a very tough year, a lot of unfulfillment, a lot of things that weren't brought to completion. On the other hand, there's a sense in which I can't wait for 2020 to be fulfilled. 
I can't wait for this year to be brought to completion and sort of be able to move on from both the challenges and the victories that I experienced. But that's what we should think about when we think about Christmas. That's what Matthew's thinking about. He's thinking about something that has been brought to completion. Something that was incomplete. This is why we sing and we celebrate Christmas. Something that was incomplete has been fulfilled. Now, through Jesus' coming, I want to just point out a few of what those things are. What, are. what are some specific things that Jesus came to fulfill? Uh, first, think about this. Jesus came to fulfill an ancient promise. This is probably where this must start. You see that there in the text. As Matthew is alluding to Isaiah's prophecy, he's saying this arrival of Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise, but it's a promise that even predates ancient prophets. It's a promise that God himself made even at the beginning of time. After all things were made, first and foremost, to revolve gloriously around God. God created a good world. He created humanity for a good purpose. This is not the version of the world God created. God made a world and partnered with man in a project to make it beautiful, to cultivate it for its greatest potential to live in service to each other for the glory of God. What a great vision for what the world could be. Fortunately, sin enters the story. Sin has taken what God has made good and made it wrong. This is the story not just of the beginning. This is the story of history. It's the story of human history. Good things that God has made corrupted by our own tendency for sin which is turning away from the way of God. It's turning away from the will and the plan of God. That is our biggest problem. Because what sin has done is separate us from relationship with God. Sin is essentially saying, God, no, I need you over there. And I want to be my own God right here. And what that does is it doesn't just commit an offense against a holy God, but it breaks the whole order of things. Everything falls apart as a result. Now, when you study the scriptures, what you discover is that this God who's been sinned against is tremendously patient. Scripture says that he's slow to anger. He doesn't react at the initial offense like, I don't know about you, but I know I tend to, like in traffic or wherever, where the second I'm wronged, I got to make it right. But he patiently promises to forgive. He patiently promises to make right what sin has made wrong. That's essentially the promise that God made, an ancient promise, an ancient promise to fix what sin has broken. And the entire history of the people of God up until the point here of Jesus has been living, they've been living in hope of this promise, the hope that we will see the fulfillment of what God has made clear that he is going to send a savior to fix the sin problem. And that's clearly what it tells us there. We read also in verse uh, 21 uh, about Jesus that he, uh, his name will be called Jesus, which is God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Here he is. Jesus shows up on the scene. So that's the first thing that Jesus came to fulfill, an ancient promise. And this is so important, I think, uh, for us to really get a proper perspective of what life is ultimately about 
and especially Christmas. I really like the way that D.A. Carson says it. I'm sure it's difficult to read up there, but if you could just hear this quote, I think you'll really enjoy it. He says this, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, then he would have sent an economist. If he perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, well, he would have sent us a politician. If he perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor, but he perceived instead that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, and our, and our profound rebellion and our death. Therefore, he sent a savior. He sent Jesus to save his people from their sins, an ancient promise fulfilled in the coming of Jesus to restore back to God a relationship that sin has broken. So Matthew goes, Jesus is here, fulfillment. It's been fulfilled, the ancient promise. But another thing has been fulfilled through Jesus' coming. Uh, secondly, there's been an impossible standard from, hu- from a human perspective, an impossible standard that's been fulfilled. You see, Jesus uh, is, is able to be spoken of here in Matthew as the one who will save because Jesus meets the standards of what's required to save. You see, nobody in this room has the ability to measure up to what it takes to save. And I'm not just talking about each other, like I can't save you, you can't save me for my sin. I'm talking about I can't save myself, which is the biggest fight that I'm constantly engaged in, trying to do what only Jesus can do. And the reason is because we don't measure up to the standard, the impossible standard of what's required, but Jesus perfectly fulfilled the standard that is given to the Savior that God promised. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus comes on the, on the scene. He's a great Jewish teacher. He's a rabbi. But he's like progressive in his teaching. He's bringing fresh insights to what had just become stale and sort of like legalistic. He's bringing the heart of God to the matter. And in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most misquoted and uh, misread passages in all the scriptures where Jesus is teaching, it's as if Jesus is responding to a Jewish question. The Jewish listeners are going, okay, Jesus, all your teaching is really great, but how do you feel about the Bible? Jesus, how do you feel about the Torah? How do you feel about the promises about the Messiah, all the prophetic ones, all the legal ones? How do you feel about that? And Jesus says, do not think for a minute, all right, you didn't say that, but I feel like that's right. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Notice this, I didn't come to destroy, I came to fulfill. I came to bring what was promised to completion through my life. That's what Jesus came to do, to meet that standard. He does it two ways. First, Jesus comes as this hero who matches every prophetic description of what the Messiah in the Jewish Bible would look like. There's over 300 of these different prophecies, and it is a mathematical impossibility for any person in this room to just meet eight of them, eight of these prophetic prophecies. You've got to be born at the time that Jesus was born, in the place that he was born in, and then you just go down the line through all the things. You read the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus is just one after another, In his very life, he's so much more than just one of Israel's greatest teachers. No, he goes to the cross. He's crucified because he himself claimed to be more than a good teacher. He's a king. He's the Messiah. He fulfills those prophecies. But it's more than that, too. Jesus also fulfills 
the requirements, the requirements of righteousness. Let's understand it this way. A drowning person cannot save another drowning person. Now, maybe you can create a scenario and you've seen some movie where it happened, but let's, to stretch this illustration a little further, to make my point convincible. If you're both drowning in the middle of the ocean with no other life preservers, the only way that one person is going to be able to save the other if you're, is if you're not drowning. If you have some kind of flotation device, if you are outside of the problem, and that's why we can't save ourselves. But Jesus, this is the good news of Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he entered into the story. He entered into the world of the problem. But he was the only human who didn't become a part of the problem himself. The way the Bible says it is that Jesus was a man and he was tempted in all points, just like we are. But without sin. Without sin. Jesus fulfilled the law. This is why when Jesus grows up and matures, one of his, his well I shouldn't say one of his, his predecessor, his prophet John the Baptist, who was also his cousin, that's cool, John the Baptist sees him walking by. John's with some of his disciples, and there's Jesus. And John says, behold, here's what he says, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, that's extremely relevant to Israel's history. They, they know not just the necessity for a sacrifice to provide for the sin of the people, but they know that that sacrifice needs to be perfect. It's got to be acceptable to God. And here's Jesus, that sinless, spotless lamb. When he was on trial, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He can save. Or rather, it says he will save. And the reason is because only he can save. Only Jesus has been able to thread that needle of being fully God, fully man. He's God with us. And basically what I'm trying to get at here is what's called the good news of the Christian faith. I'm not sure what the Christian faith has become to you. I'm not sure what your mental picture of God is. But, but Christmas reminds us, God brings you good news. He's got some great things for you. Jesus has been born for you. And here's that good news. Jesus Christ, he measured up to God's standard so that you wouldn't have to. He measured up to that standard so that you wouldn't have to. He willingly, as the one who measured up to that standard, the Bible tells us he went to a cross. He was born to die. And it's 2 Corinthians 5.21 that talks about this exchange that takes place for all who trust in Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. The Lamb of God, the spotless, sinless one who measured up for us, he willingly chose to take upon himself our sin on a cross to die in your place, in my place, so that you wouldn't have to be in your sin, but instead you could receive the gift of his righteousness, of his forgiveness through your faith. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Christian faith should produce the most humble people on earth. Because it's a bunch of people that acknowledge, I don't measure up, but Jesus did for me. And so I receive that in humility. I receive that in grace. Maybe for you, you're stuck still in this trap of trying to measure up to some standard to earn God's favor and love. And I just want to say there's a much better way to be right with God. 
It's the way he provided the way, the truth, and the life, his son Jesus, who came to fulfill an impossible standard to measure up so that you wouldn't have to. Amen? This is the good news. Jesus came to fulfill an ancient promise. He came to fulfill an impossible standard. Can I give you this other thought? He came to fulfill an empty void. He came to fulfill an empty void in the heart of every single person. As I alluded to earlier, who is made for God. Though we were made for God, sin has disconnected us in our relationship with God. And we find ourselves, apart from Jesus, we find ourselves empty, longing, looking for something in this world to give me what I was created for. Here's the way that the, um, the great king and, and poet Solomon says it in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says that God makes everything beautiful in its time, and also he has put eternity into their hearts. That's an interesting idea. That every human being was created by God. As we are disconnected from God because of sin, there is this um, God-shaped hole, this eternal space that we are often stuck trying to fulfill with other things. And I love this about the message of Christmas because what Matthew tells us about Jesus' coming is that Jesus came to give us exactly what that empty hole needed, which was God himself. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Isn't it awesome that Jesus doesn't come with like a bunch of rules I'm so, like, I could not, I can't last in this Christian thing sometimes with grace. Like, imagine it being about rules. I'd be like, I'm out, okay? So, but that's the good news. God doesn't say, here, I'm going to send you a five-step program to fix your life up and fill that hole. He says, no, I'm going to send my son, who is God with us. I'm going to send you the very thing that you're missing, which is God himself. And there's a great dialogue where Jesus is talking to a woman about this concept in the Gospel of John. This woman has essentially, she's, been, she's gone from relationship to relationship to relationship, seeking to fill that void that's eternal, that only God can. And it's a great illustration for our lives, because for some of us, it's not a relationship, but it's some other thing. You know, fill in your blank. What is that thing that you're looking to to give you that ultimate meaning? That thing that you're looking to to ultimately satisfy your being and your life and your soul. It could be a pride of life thing and a popularity thing and, and, and kind of a fame thing. It could be, it could be a, a, an experience, a pleasure thing. It could be a wealth thing and amassing some kind of riches to fill that space. And whatever it is, we're just like this woman in some ways to where we go from thing to thing to thing. And as she's meeting with Jesus, he's, at, he's with her at a well, and he gives this great illustration. John chapter 4, a great story that's really um, worth reading through. But the climax of the story is when Jesus says to her, whoever drinks of this water, he says, will thirst again. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. When you read the story, it takes the woman a minute to go, like, are we still talking about the well? Is this, oh, this is a metaphor. It's, it is a metaphor. It's a metaphor about the different things that we drink in life to try to satisfy us. And Jesus says, at the end of the day, whatever that thing is in your life that you're putting into that God-shaped hole, it might gratify you for the moment, but it will not satisfy you for eternity. Because you'll thirst again. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? 
the next morning, the next week. We need more of it. I need another hit. I need another drink. I need another whatever it is. I need more wealth. Whatever that thing is you're chasing. And Jesus says, stop. If you drink of that, you'll thirst again. But if you come to me, you'll find fulfillment. I will bring you to completion. And lastly, as I invite the band to come up for our time of reflection as we close out our service, I want to say lastly that Jesus came to fulfill an underlying longing. An underlying longing beneath all of the things that we're desiring in life. Jesus comes to fulfill this underlining, underpinning even desire that's in the heart of every person in this room. Jesus comes to fulfill the desire that each of us have in this room to be both, listen closely, fully known and fully loved. Fully known, and as you're fully known, despite what's found and discovered, you're fully loved. That's an underlying desire in every heart. And if we're honest, every one of us has experienced being known and rejected to some extent. And so what we tend to do in our culture is we settle for being seen and liked, right? We'll go with that. I'll just project some sort of persona of me. I'll kind of give you this mask. I'll give you this version of happiness or whatever, you know, whatever sort of act you want me to act out. I'll give you that so that you can see that and like that. But can I tell you, you weren't created by the God of the universe to be on a surface level seen and liked, you were created by a God who knows you more intimately than you know yourself and loves you. You don't have to hide from him what he sees. It's not like God sent Jesus into the world not knowing what he was getting into, right? Like he comes to earth and he's like, oh, no, this was a bad idea. I didn't. I knew they were bad. But I didn't, I didn't see it going this way. That escalated quickly, right? Like I didn't see that happening. No, no, no. The message of the gospel is summarized beautifully for us in John 3, 16, which says that God so loved the world, God so loved the people that he knew that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What fulfillment it is to know that God knows you and still loves you. His love for you is never determined by what he found in you. It's determined by the fact that he is love. It's in his very nature to love what's unlovely. And that's the good news of the gospel. One of my favorite pastors and authors, Tim Keller, says it beautifully this way. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. Just think about that for a second. Right now in your life, it's what you need more than anything to be fully known and fully loved. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. What a vision for a life that's lived in the confidence that God loves me. Can I tell you, that's what Christmas is for, to assure you of that, 
that Jesus came to fulfill that longing in you and in me. And so as we close our service here on this Thursday early afternoon or late afternoon, early evening, uh, there's a couple ways that we can respond to this truth that we just observed. Uh, for one, there is uh, communion elements um, underneath your seat. And I just want to say that this is not our preferred method of going to the Lord's table. There's no breaking of bread. There's no, it's like a, a, a lunchable for Jesus. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I just want to say it's not our preferred method, but desperate times call for lunchables. But man, as you have those elements, listen, first and foremost, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's the prerequisite to taking this meal, is that you're a follower of Jesus. And this is not a, just a half-hearted traditional thing, but this is a sincere thing. If that's who you are, man, don't celebrate Christmas without the cross. Don't celebrate Christmas without thinking about what Jesus has come to fulfill in your and my life. And that's what we're going to do here during this moment. We're going to partake of the elements. And listen, I want to say, if, if you're here today and you go, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't really have many bad things to say about him. I don't know how I always feel about Christians. Right? But maybe you're like, I just, I, I don't know. And I, I don't know if, man, I don't know if I've ever actually opened up my heart and my life to receive God's love. Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about what Jesus did to make you right with God. We're not talking about a ladder you got to climb. We're talking about a God who descended down to your level so that you could just open up your heart and say, God, fill my life. And so up here on the screen, if that's you, and today you want to give your life to Jesus, this is the moment in time that you're marking, a moment in time where you're saying, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Would you be mine? If that is your cry, if that's in your heart, there's a prayer up here on the screen. We'll cut the light so that you could read it. And it simply says this, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am more weak and sinful than I could ever dare imagine, but through you I am more loved and accepted than I could ever dare hope. I thank you for paying my debt on the cross, taking what I deserved in order to offer me complete forgiveness. Knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn from my sins and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Listen, this is not some abracadabra thing that you pray to say the right words, to get the right results. But here is what the Bible does say. Whoever believes in his heart the Lord Jesus and confesses with his mouth that God has raised him from the dead, if you believe that, you will be saved. Not might be saved, not hopefully you'll turn out saved, but through Jesus you will be saved. And my prayer that every person in this room would be saved. And so let's take a moment now to reflect on that. Maybe for some of you, it's rejoicing in your salvation. Let's take a moment to reflect on the cross. Go ahead and partake of those elements. We'll close with a song and I'll send us out. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.